are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw at ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope everybody's having a great start to their work week. Already two days in to the new week. Number to call 334-321-1390. Our text line at 334-564-1840. Lance, how's it going, my man? It's been a pretty good day so far, Noah. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm actually right now scouring the week four college football slate. And intern Belichick tells me, man, there's not a lot of good games this week. And sure, at face value, if you're just skimming the week four schedule, you're like, yeah, there's not a lot of ranked on ranked matchups. But then you start digging in. You're like, oh, man, Rutgers and Michigan are undefeated. (laughs) Kansas State, Oklahoma State undefeated. Oh, Baylor's undefeated. They might be able to beat Iowa State. You keep looking through it, and you're like, oh, there's some good games here. LSU, Mississippi State, Boston College, Missouri. Belichick, you failed me. You failed me. I gave you a simple task, and you failed me. Lance, it's it's going to be a fun week. Tennessee, Florida, there's some good games. Someone please tell me how Rutgers is still undefeated. How is that possible? Shano's got the program going in the right direction. He still, I believe, still has a top 25 recruiting class for next season. I'd love to. I'd love to see him stay in that uh, whenever the the recruiting cycle finally ends. But there was a point where he was in like the top seven. He's he's doing some good things down there. UCLA, Stanford, UCLA on the road against a team that knocked off USC. We've also got Nebraska, Michigan State. Is Michigan State going to stay legit, or are they going to succumb to the blustery nature of college football this upcoming year? Because Nebraska seems to be improving. There's some games when you look at it, you're like, yeah, that's probably not that great but then you dig into this schedule and like man there's some fun games this week so i'm excited to talk about that with you later on in the show we'll give you our top five most important games in week four we'll continue to break down your auburn tigers some media availability today from a couple of players i believe it's luke deal and donovan kaufman today from the auburn camp we'll let you know what those guys had to say as well as continuing to break down auburn this past weekend and moving forward we got a fun show planned for everybody today and if you want to call in talk about anything going on in the sports world number to call 334-321-1390 our text line at 334-564-1840 lance i want to start off today talking about the auburn defense something you and i were talking about when we were in the drive through for lunch today we're talking about this Auburn defense at length yesterday we talked a lot about the offense now I want to dig in a little bit to this defense and what we saw on Saturday that leads to Sean Clifford for what seems to be probably the first time ever with his background to go 29 for 33 for nearly 300 yards and a couple of touchdowns of course he still had the interception but an excellent day for Sean Clifford you almost say that that interception is a scratch because of when it happened it's just a shot downfield at the end of a half so he had an excellent day seems like the Auburn defense had a lot to do with that rather than the Penn State offense and I don't want to take anything away from the Penn State offense because I think they played very well I think they pass protected well for him but the Auburn defense didn't help themselves out no they didn't at all and Jahan Dotson is a very talented player he's an athlete he's He's one of the best receivers in this upcoming draft class he's a Sunday receiver for sure 
But Auburn's inability to not just cover him, but to cover the other receivers consistently was incredibly frustrating to watch. Ten receptions for Dotson, 78 yards, one touchdown. Uh, Parker Washington had eight receptions. The tight end, Brennan Strange, I believe is his name, had four receptions for 71 yards. I mean, it, it was it was like you said, just a, a near perfect night for Sean Clifford. And if you look at his game logs again, like you mentioned, you would you, you look at this game as well, and you start to realize this was less of a uh, Sean Clifford is a world beater uh, situation. It's more of a the Auburn defense kind of beat themselves up and did not adjust. And at halftime, I was going into it saying, okay, it looks like Auburn's been running a lot of zone. Penn State's been able to find the soft spots in the zone so far. Sean Clifford's had a really good day. Auburn's pass rush has not gotten there in the second half. Certainly, we're going to adjust, bring some pressure, and make Sean Clifford uncomfortable because we saw that at the very end of the half whenever Zacoby McLean led the, uh, laid the hit on him and uh, McCreary got the pick. Let's see if we can do some more of that in the second half. And uh, Clifford, after that interception, was 12 for 12. He did not miss a single pass for the rest of the night, I believe. Might be wrong on that, but... Uh, he uh, overall regardless an incredibly efficient night and like you said it was just the defense being out of place at different times and the play calls certainly were not helping Auburn was running again a lot of zone a lot of middle eight a lot of cover four a lot of cover six and they were dropping back and they weren't applying pressure and you and I have talked about it throughout this entire offseason Noah we've talked about well when Sean Clifford on the road or at home has had pressure applied to him he has not been the best quarterback and we saw 2020 last year specifically the offensive line was just absolutely terrible and Penn State had a lot of turnover problems Sean Clifford was just not a good decision maker under pressure we thought coming into this game Auburn would be able to do that and they would be able to sustain drives off of putting uh, Sean Clifford in pressure situations they'd be able to force quick three and outs and they'd be able to get Bo Nix in this running game going and Auburn would slow the game down and just take over that way but um it just didn't happen that way. It was a concern that we had coming into this game. Would Sean Clifford have any pressure put on him? Again, he didn't, and I think that's the main reason why Auburn uh, was not able to, uh, to to beat Penn State. But again, that secondary just a lot of missed, a lot of miscommunications, a lot, a lot of missed assignments. Part of that, I believe, has to do with the play calling. And you can't leave your defensive backs out there on an island for as long as they were consistently on Saturday night. Among all of the issues that we saw on Saturday, which do you think is the most concerning moving forward? I don't know if it's the pass rush or if it's the secondary that's more concerning and and Derek Mason's inability to adjust through three games so far this season. I'm going to say it is the secondary because I believe we have the guys on this defensive line that are fast enough and are talented enough to get around the edge. They just have to be sent more. I don't think we blitzed enough uh, on Saturday night. I will say I think the most concerning thing right now for this defense is just missed assignments in the secondary and in this and these players being put in bad positions. See, I actually think there's more talent in the defensive backfield than there is on the defensive line. And I'm not mad at that. And going into the season, you and I thought that. Yeah, I'm not mad at that. There, there, there appeared to be a lot of depth at this position, right? There appeared to be a lot of different guys that we could just kind of plug in and play if the starters were not performing well. But we saw over the course of the first two games, oh, whenever Auburn's backups get into the game in this secondary, they've not been performing so well. Uh, Another guy that we thought was going to be a starter, uh, not Donovan Kaufman, uh, Dreshawn Miller, has just completely fallen off the face of the earth. We've not even heard or seen anything from him. And so the depth just, just kind of not necessarily withered away it's still there they're just not as 
I don't want to say talented because I think this team still is talented. It's just they're not being put in good positions right now. I like to draw a lot of comparisons to other sports teams that I watch, other instances of things happening going on in football. Like yesterday when we were talking about the fourth down and one call and Auburn elected to kick the field goal. You look a day later, Sunday night football, what do the Baltimore Ravens do to win the football game against the Kansas City Chiefs? They go for it on fourth and one from their own side of the field and they don't get it, what happens? The Kansas City Chiefs are going to end up winning that football game. So another example here that I want to draw towards what's happening right now with this Auburn football team, I want to look at the Cleveland Browns a little bit and what happened last year. You have a brand new offensive system coming in. You have a brand new defensive system coming in last year with a whole new coaching staff, and you see early on the Browns offense looked a little bit out of sorts, got beat by the Baltimore Ravens 38-6, to took a little bit of time for the Browns, to find their identity early in the season last year but what happened the Browns ended up being one of the better scoring offenses in all of the NFL last year ended up making the playoffs this year a lot of new faces on the defensive side of the football for the Cleveland Browns eight to be exact that's eight new starters out of 11 for the Cleveland Browns and what have they done through the first two weeks gave up a lot of points to the Kansas City Chiefs gave up 33 to them and then you also see them this past Sunday struggle a little bit against the Houston Texans who have a lot of issues on the offensive side of the football gave up 21 points they were able to throw the football really well and when I think of the Houston Texans even when they put in backup Davis Mills this past weekend that is not a team that I think of that has a great time throwing the football now that they have what seems to be moved on from Deshaun Watson but and I've seen articles written about this over the last week and and following the Cleveland Browns and whatnot that all of these new faces that have come into the franchise on that side of the football they're still learning the scheme they're still generating chemistry among each other they are still coming together as a unit which is so important on the defensive side of the on the defensive side of the football especially from a chemistry standpoint it's going to take time but like the offense last year they may be able to put it all together and end up becoming one of the better units in all of the NFL on that side of the football because the talent is certainly there drawing that comparison to Auburn's defense right now look at all the new faces that are starting of course, there are some of the same guys from last year. There's still Roger McCreary. There's still Smoke Monday. You still have the same linebackers. But think about this. Chandler Wooten's playing an increased role this year. You look on the defensive line, Marcus Harris, Tony Fair. Of course, like the, once again, there are some of the same faces that are on this defense. It's kind of split half and half by Darius Knighton across the top, a new face. Donovan Kaufman, a new face. Zion Puckett's playing a lot of time, right? It, it's split half and half. There's a There was a massive influx of new players coming into this defense right now and I think they are still learning this new scheme which is vastly different than what Kevin still did and that could be causing some of the issues right now in coverage now if things don't fix and if things don't fix quick LSU could end up throwing all over on Armour because LSU one of their strengths is the passing game right they may not do anything else well in Baton Rouge right now but they can throw the football and that could be an area that can make that game be a lot closer than it actually needs to be if Auburn secondary can come around. But one thing is for sure, there's a lot of talent on this side of the football. I'm not writing it off. I still want to see maybe if it's chemistry that's an issue right now and a lot of new guys learning a new system. It's kind of hard to believe. You and I talked about this a lot during the offseason. Which side of the football would struggle to pick up the new offense or the new defense which side of the ball would struggle to pick up the new schemes I think you and I probably would have agreed that it was the offense that would have struggled to pick it up quicker than the defense but I think it's actually been on the other side of the ball 
that has shown the most issues to pick up a new scheme. I agree. I think the defense has definitely uh, had some kinks that it needs to work out, and I think it's it's something that they're going to have to continue to try and work on. Like you said, chemistry I think is a really important thing, but also it's going to be it's it's going. To, I think it's healthy. When you look at Auburn's schedule and the teams that they're playing, if you're going to try and, okay, work out some of the issues you have in the secondary, build some of that chemistry, why not do it against some really solid competition, right? You talk, We talked all offseason about whether or not we would want to have like a Penn State game week one or if we would rather have the Akron and Alabama State games well, to kind of work That's the previous coaching staff's fault. Right. I look at this now and I say, okay, we're three games in. We have looked really good against bad competition, and we looked like we belonged. We we, we deserve to be on the field against Penn State on Saturday night. Moving forward, though, let's start to make some of these adjustments. And what better way to start making adjustments than playing teams like LSU, Alabama, Ole Miss, Georgia, Texas A&M, these really talented SEC teams, if you're going to kind of get yourself together do it against the best competition that that the country has to offer terms in terms of offensive like elite passing games and just efficiency I think Auburn is definitely set themselves up to where if they do want to make adjustments and I believe they can and like you said I think this defense is talented they're going to have an opportunity to prove themselves again against some really good competition and by no means is Auburn out of the picture in anything they only have one loss and they still have conference play ahead of them so this is this is not a panic button moment but I would like to see some adjustments uh, from this defense. And there was some frustration boiling up. Boiling may be an extreme word, but there was some frustration beginning to brew a little bit over the first two weeks with how the secondary was playing. But you're just kind of like, yeah, it'll be fine. Maybe they're just playing off. Maybe you know they're checking out mentally for these first two games. That was kind of the story of the Alabama State game. But then you talk about the Akron game. It was just such a blowout by the point that the backup quarterback Irons came in for Akron that – you're thinking, oh, well, maybe everybody just checked out in that game as well. So, like, you didn't really have a whole lot to go off of for that defense to know what they were bad at yet. But then the Penn State game showed you what the defense is struggling at right now. And I go back to, I think a lot of it has to do with new faces on the defensive side of the football. Not that the new faces aren't performing. I think especially the guys on the defensive line. Now, they may have not have generated much of a pass rush, but in terms of run stopping, I think you and I both can agree Auburn is much better at stopping the run this year than they were last year. Yeah, absolutely. 89 rushing yards for Penn State, averaged 2.7 yards per carry. They were just incredibly solid, and they were incredibly solid in their first two games. While this defensive line might struggle in, in, in pass rush, like you said, very, very strong in the run game, and you would think that that would set you up down the line really good if you can at least generate a semblance of a pass rush because what are teams going to probably do on first down often they're probably going to try and run the ball if you can get them into third and medium third and long situations you send that pass rush you've got a really deep secondary going into the season I thought that would be a good thing right if you're if you can generate at least a semblance of a pass rush you're going to have a lot of success against teams you're going to be forcing a lot of three and outs you're going to be getting a lot of stops and you could be potentially be getting a lot of turnovers something that I thought would happen in this Penn State game for Sean Clifford into a couple of interceptions sometimes occasionally put him in a a pressure situation where he makes the wrong decision I still think Auburn has the opportunity to do that down the stretch and I believe they will and I wanted to open the, the show up today talking about the Auburn defense because I'm sure there are a lot of folks going to work talking around a water cooler speaking with their families and they're all asking themselves right now what's wrong with this Auburn defense that we're so accustomed to seeing being 
Lockdown in the secondary, great in man-to-man coverage, really stingy on the defensive side of the football. And I don't think Auburn had a horrible performance by any means against Penn State. You were on the road. Their quarterback went 29 for 33, and they had to fight to get to 28 points. I don't think those 28 points came easy by any means. Okay, Now, there were some busted coverages. There were some big plays in the passing game that moved them down the field on a drive or two. But all in all, you look across the whole ballgame, it's not like Penn State carved Auburn up for 30-plus points. They had to work for their 28 points in that ball game, and that's evidenced in, in in the yard totals and whatnot, which were pretty split. I mean, you, you go and look at the statistics on this football game. If Auburn doesn't give Penn State a short field at the start of the second half with a fumble, things may unfold a little bit differently, and we're all talking about this Auburn team in a much different light on Monday and Tuesday of this week as opposed to what the conversations have been, which are heavily focusing on a few miscues throughout the football game, whereas all in all, I feel like you grade the performance. You know, I, I'm, I'm baffled on some things, but impressed on others. So I, I'm not, I'm not underwhelmed with this Auburn team at this point. I think they're just still learning the two schemes on both sides of the ball, and that's why I wanted to bring up the defensive side because I think there are some folks out there that maybe are getting a little bit too antsy with the defense at this point, and maybe are freaking out a little bit too much about Derek Mason's scheme. It's just three games in let's pump the brakes a little bit see how these players execute because in Brian Hartson's press conference yesterday and also hearing from some of the players today it sounds like some guys were out of position guys weren't executing on that side of the football and that's not necessarily play calling that that is at some point your players do have to execute right and if they're fine indeed and a big part of defense is technique a big part of defense is positioning and if you're not those are two things that you can control that is not your opponent those are two things you control and if you're not finding yourselves in the right position, if you're not putting your effort in, if you're not following the technique that has been taught to you, that's a personnel issue. That is a player issue, not a not a coach that not not a play calling issue, I should say, right? And so I'm not ready to freak out about this Auburn defense just yet. We all know there's stuff to fix. Let's see what this defense looks like in two weeks from now and how they've grown in terms of their past defense and how they've grown in their positioning and learning this scheme to before we make any real conclusions. Right, and like you said, there are, there are positive things to take away from this, right? They still had 11 tackles for loss, which is fantastic. They were getting into the backfield whenever Penn State wanted to try and run the ball. Again, it's just trying to find that pass rush, and like you said, all of it's not on play calling. As a defensive lineman, you've got to learn how to have proper technique, especially on the edge with Colby Wood and, Der- and Derek Hall. You've got to be able to comp- you've got to be able to complement that speed and that power and that th- that athletic ability with technique. You've got to be able to actually go out there and perform at a high level. This is the SEC. At the end of the day, I think Auburn has the talent again on roster to to make these adjustments and to improve because we're seeing them thrive really well in one area. If the play calling gets there and adjustments are made and these these guys get together and the chemistry builds, I think this defense still can have a really solid year. But again, it starts, for me, it starts in that secondary and, and, and making those adjustments. Let's take a quick break here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. One segment in, we'll come back, talk about Auburn's schedule down the line on a scale of 1 to 10. How comfortable are we with Auburn moving forward with an absolute gauntlet coming up in the SEC? Tigers are 2-1 and one after falling to Penn State on Saturday, but I still think there's a lot of optimism for Auburn fans based on what they saw in Happy Valley. You're listening to On the Line. 
Back on the line, Lance Dawn, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama 98.3 FM. As we tease going to break, we're going to look at this Auburn schedule coming up. Like Noah mentioned, it is just an absolute gauntlet. We're going to give our thoughts on how comfortable we are with this upcoming schedule. I'm going to be honest, coming out the gates, just going to say it, not very comfortable. You look at these next five or six games, you get Georgia State at home. Uh, that that's going to be homecoming. That should be, don't want to say it's a guaranteed win, but Auburn should win that game. And then you get into this really, really tough stretch at LSU, at home against number two Georgia, at number 16 Arkansas, at home against number 13 Ole Miss, and then on the road at number seven Texas A&M. Four of those five opponents are ranked, and the only opponent that is not ranked uh, has not lost to Auburn in Baton Rouge since 1999. So Auburn's got their work cut out for them in this upcoming schedule. Noah, if you had to grade it on a scale of 1 to 10, how comfortable are you with Auburn moving moving forward, especially during these next six games? I will say 7. I will go with a 7 with Auburn's remainder schedule. I won't even look at I – w- I won't even just say these next six, six games. I'll say the rest of the entire schedule. I'll kind of break down why I'm at a 7 at this point. Obviously, you're going to beat Georgia State. That's going to get you to 3-1 and one. on the road at LSU. I'm going to choose to believe that this coaching staff and, and that LSU game is very important for – I don't want to say drawing immediate conclusions about this coaching staff because, once again, give these coaches several years, right? Give them two years at least before people start really drawing conclusions about their tenure here at Auburn. But I think you'll learn a lot about this coaching staff in the LSU game, about their approach to – previous games and how it maybe affects them moving forward how they learn from their mistakes because you remember in the offseason Cole Kublet making a comment about Brian Harson and saying that his personality is a lot like Nick Saban do you remember that I do yes yeah you think Nick Saban's going to allow the same thing to beat him twice in a season have we really even seen that not often of course there was 2019 where he lost a couple of games there was 2010 where he lost three games there are a couple of years in there in his Alabama tenure where at those Alabama teams were not as good as the others but they were still 10 win teams you know it's like right. for us to say that I mean I don't want to sit here and harp on Alabama or anything like that but you look at Alabama you look at other teams in college football they they tend to learn from their errors they tend to improve as the season goes on and I said this on yesterday's show I think you know when we were talking about Alabama's trajectory moving forward and how wacky college football has been right now it's like their team that track record wise with that coaching staff they typically have learned from their mistakes a little bit better than other teams have right and then we talked a little bit about what the previous regime has has done at Auburn and it's kind of like when we saw an issue an issue relatively early in the season with Auburn we were like, oh, well, that's going to be a problem for the rest of the year, right? That's that's something that we've been conditioned to. I don't know. Do you agree with that? Yes. Uh, like, yeah. it, it's something that it felt like Auburn tried to, tried to avoid throughout the year, that, that it's if Auburn struggled at something on offense, you knew that in the passing game oftentimes was that issue. You knew that when Georgia rolled around at the end of the year that a lot of us did, just did not have confidence that Auburn was just going to all of a sudden have this passing game improved, right? That, that those issues continue to rear their heads and Auburn just tried to scheme around it and, and sometimes that's what you have to do at, at some point you do realize well this isn't getting any better we got to find a way to minimize this weakness and maximize all of our strengths and, and I, I think it's a little bit of both you have to improve what, what what you're not good at but on the flip side you do want to minimize weaknesses and maximize strengths and at some point you have to recognize well I just don't have the personnel to do 
what I want to do and I, I don't I don't think Auburn is in that situation this year I think they've got the personnel I think we've seen improvement even up to this point Auburn may have not have won on Saturday against Penn State but I think we at least can see hey Bonex played better on the road than maybe we've seen him play in a big game ever before he limited his mistakes made some big throws still went through his progressions I think you can see some good things from Bonex right out the gates he was not the reason why Auburn lost on Saturday that those little things right there tell me that this coaching staff is making this team better right because right. I think there were some head turning moments for all of us as if you're an Auburn fan and you're watching that game you're like oh that, that's different that that's something that we would have not done before I texted you when Auburn went down was it Auburn went down seven to three things kind of started to feel like they were getting a little shaky early on and then what happened Auburn marched the ball down the field made it 10 to seven Tank Bigsby scored from four or five yards out I texted you Auburn would not have answered there in the no. past you would have started to see Auburn give up some ground Auburn answered a lot on Saturday against Penn State which tells me that this coaching staff the culture is taking root but once again it takes time so when you get to that LSU game in two weeks after I get off of my soliloquy there um, in two weeks I'm looking at that game and I'm thinking, okay, how has this coaching staff learned from the issues from two weeks ago? They're playing another power five opponent. I almost said quality opponent. I still don't know if we know that about LSU just yet, but they're still a power five team with great recruits and great personnel on their roster. Whether or not they're being managed correctly by their own coaching staff, that's another story. But you know that you're still playing a talented team. How has this coaching staff improved this team over a period of two weeks? And when someone like Cole Kubelik, who knows this who knows the stuff about college football knows these coaches knows the game knows all these different players and stuff like that when he makes a comment about brian harson that says hey this guy has some personality traits that are like nick saban you know that that kind of resonates with me and and i know that was taken out of context by a lot of alabama fans at that time but i think i see those qualities in brian harson right now based off of this week the messaging that he's had from his press conference saying hey these things aren't okay we don't do players of the week when we lose right I they're they're zeroing in on the mistakes and and from what we heard about Brian Harson when he was coming into the program way 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 back all the way into December and January everybody talked about you know there's two sides of Brian Harson there's you know the guy who's have you know who's having a good time on the sideline it's fun to be around him but there's also when things are going bad he's not that fun to be around and I think he's a guy that learns from his mistakes so when you get to that LSU game it becomes very important but we'll learn a lot getting to that spot and I think Auburn will learn from their mistakes yeah absolutely and again we're starting to see that progress because you saw in that Penn State game like you just mentioned Auburn didn't fold and Bo Nix did not fold he came back after he almost threw that pick six and threw a beautiful ball to Shed Jackson it's just he he happened to trip up and it was an incompletion but there were time there were time and time again Bo Nix would come back and this Auburn team would fight back and I think we're going to see that more often this season as the season progresses we've got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on the other side of this break Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM. Tuesday edition of On the Line, and that means Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. Justin, how you doing today, my man? I'm all right. How are you? We're doing really well. We appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Justin, breaking down this Auburn-Penn State game, what were some of your impressions? It's a mixed bag. There was some good. There was some baffling. What were your takeaways? Yeah, I think you know it's it's one of those games where if you lose by eight on the road to a really good team and have a chance to you know extend the game a couple times late, you know you can't say it's a horrible performance by any means. 
But I think it's one where Auburn's going to look back and learn a lot from it, learn from their mistakes, learn from uh, kind of how they played and some of the things they did. You know, I thought Bo Nix had some good moments in the game. I thought he looked more comfortable in the pocket. Uh, I thought he did a better job of, of handling pressure than he has in the past away from home. Uh, but, you know, accuracy still is one of those things that uh, he's got to continue to work on. Auburn's wide receivers aren't necessarily – uh, giving him the best help in the world right now, but we knew that was going to be the case uh, because it's a it's a unit that's you know, a work in progress with a lot of inexperience. Oh, the running game looked good. Um, you know, you've got a downhill rushing attack. You got an offensive line that seems very comfortable um, blocking for those guys. Uh, defensively, um, I mean, there's going to be a lot of talk about the coverage uh, for Auburn, and uh, I think the bigger issue than you know the zone or playing a lot of off man uh, was just had coverage breakdowns and you let some big plays happen because dudes got wide open because uh, guys didn't pick up their assignment, um, miscommunications. And those are the big things, um, you know, because you go back and look at all of Penn State's explosive pass plays in that game. Uh, the majority of them were guys getting open, like running free. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where uh, Auburn's got to tighten up in that area. They got to be much more, um, you know, they, they got to be much more, polished i think in in the way they want to cover but on the on the flip side of that there were some plays that um you know were able to get completed by penn state because auburn didn't get much of a pass rush going they didn't blitz a lot four-man rush wasn't getting home a ton um they did get to clifford a little bit but not 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 a lot and so you know if you don't have an adequate pass rush um you know guys can't cover forever and so i think that's one of those things where it's it's all hands on deck like everybody involved for Auburn coaches players offense defense special teams whatever whatever uh, you want to say they all can probably look at themselves and look and, and after watching the phone Penn State games like you know what I could have done better here here and here and I've got to be better here here and here in order for this team to be as good as it can be and as good as it needs to be to make it through this SEC schedule coming up how much of this is that you've got a lot of new faces entering the defensive side of the football, and then on top of that, it's a new scheme? How much of this maybe is, is chemistry and learning a new scheme on the other side of the football for this Auburn defense? Yeah, I think, I think that plays a big part into it. You know, you're going to play off man. You're going to play, play more zone coverage. You're not – I mean, you're going to give up a higher rate of completion than, than what you're going to necessarily do when you, if you play press man. Um, but the whole point of it is to keep everything in front of you, play top-down defense, prevent big plays. The problem is at Penn State, they had a number of big plays where it was, you know, guys, guys, you know, blowing their assignments, uh, not being on the same page, um, you know, two guys going after one dude and leaving another one open, you know, stuff like that. And and those are the those are the errors and the mental mistakes and the and the execution errors that have nothing to do with Penn State. Now Penn State's a really good team. But if you leave dudes wide open, they're going to make it. They're going to make plays happen, right? And so, um, I think this secondary knows they've got to do a better job of covering. They got to stick better in zone coverage. They got to they got to plaster uh, on their guys when when guys are scrambling. But also, Auburn's got to do got to find a way to get more of a pass rush going. Um, and so that's it, it's a give and take there. It's not all on one or the other. But you know, it's it's one of those things where I think you just learn, right? You learn. Okay, this is how we're trying to run our defense right now and here's how that worked maybe you go back to the drawing board maybe you call more man maybe you you know find out different ways to get pressure on the quarterback i you know there's gonna be a lot of different possible solutions and that's why i think this georgia state game coming up is a good one right here for auburn is because it gives them a chance to reset and refocus especially on the defensive end um but yeah i mean i think it's just a group that 
uh, is in a new system uh, and got got a trial by fire on Saturday night, and they learned a lot about themselves. But they also made a number of mistakes that you know you just don't you just don't need to make at any point, no matter if you're in the first year of a system or not. You're talking about this defense and all the adjustments that that need to be made on that side of the ball. I want to look at the offense for a second, specifically the receivers. It just seems like getting separation was an issue consistently throughout Saturday night. Shedrick Jackson is is a guy that comes to mind. What is this receiver room going to have to do, or what is Mike Bobo going to have to do to try and scheme these receivers open? How are these guys going to create more separation moving forward with a tough SEC slate coming up? Yeah, I think it's going to be a uh, you know kind of a mix of things. I think number one, Auburn's got to just be more consistent at wide receiver. You got guys not being in the right spot in the concepts, uh, having some catching issues again, and, and and making it tough to get anything going consistently at the you know in, in the passing game because uh, you are not doing every little thing you're supposed to be doing at wide receiver, right? Um, I do wonder, and I wrote about this today at the Observer, I do wonder how much of this game against Georgia State is going to be an opportunity to maybe look at the rotation a little differently. Um, Auburn's three starting wide receivers on Saturday, uh, well, you know, the guys that have been the starters, I should say, uh, in the last couple of weeks, got a lot of targets. And then pretty much everybody else just got one at wide receiver. So is this a way where you maybe separate a little bit more, find ways to get guys, uh, you know, guys like Xavier Capers or Elijah Canyon, you know, Javarius Johnson not being 100%, he gets closer to 100%. You, you would figure he would be a key piece uh, for this offense. Malcolm Johnson Jr., I mean, you wonder how much the, this next game coming up is going to be an opportunity for some guys to maybe get some more looks. Um, you know, nothing to take away from Demetrius Robertson um, or, or I thought Cubby Hudson played really well outside of, you know, the big fumble. And, of course, he did a good job of bouncing back from that. Um, but I, you know, I think there's room for improvement from this group and, and there's time, there's, there's plenty of time. This is an experience unit for a reason. It would be different if we're talking about a unit that's returning a bunch of starters looking like this. Right. So I think this is going to be a, a situation where maybe you look at, you know, changing up your rotation, using guys in different ways, uh, and then just getting healthy overall. I think, I think just various shots is a hundred percent. Uh, you might have a different look in the passing game because he seems to be the guy that has the best connection with Bo Nix. We've seen that from spring practice all the way to now. And, um, you know, he's only got four targets this season because he hasn't been super healthy. But, um, you know, he's been very, very efficient with those targets. So uh, maybe maybe things change for, for Auburn's receivers if they get a go-to guy like Johnson back into the mix. What is there to expect from Georgia State this weekend looking at our opponent? Yeah, I mean, this Georgia State team is, is pretty interesting. They, they've got an offense that is trying a bunch of stuff, right? They're, um, you know, in the past they've been known for their for their kind of a little bit more of a vertical passing game, uh, throwing it to the outside. Uh, they're running some option stuff. They're taking advantage of the fact that their quarterbacks got some decent wheels. Um, they're trying a lot, you know, on the offensive side and trying to see what sticks. So you see a team that's got a lot of, starters coming back a very veteran georgia state team on the offensive side of the ball yet you know it hasn't really clicked for them fully this season but they're coming off a win so um i think it's going to be one of those games where offensively you got to be prepared for anything um you know from 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 the georgia state offense and so i think it'll be a good challenge for auburn's defense to get back on track as for auburn's own offense i mean you look at this georgia state defense they've given up you know gave a decent amount of points in their first couple of games 
Uh, not necessarily a defense that strikes a lot of fear in anybody, um, but you know, overall, it's an experienced, an experienced team. Um, so, I mean, you you know that they're going to give you your best shot, and they're probably going to play some pretty disciplined football. Um, but this could look like the Akron and Alabama State games, maybe not to the you know sixty point degree, but this could look like those kind of games on the offensive end for Auburn if uh, they get back to you know executing fluidly, being back at home and working on some of those things that uh, they, they, they've learned from the Penn State game. Looking at the future schedule for Auburn, of course, you, you kind of look at Arkansas and Auburn schedules and you see four straight ranked teams after that LSU game for the Tigers and, and Arkansas is walking into a stretch like that right now with A&M coming up this weekend, but specifically zeroing in here on the Tigers on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the most comfortable. How comfortable are you right now with this Auburn team with, with a gauntlet coming up to open up SEC play in a few weeks? Yeah, I think you, you can say like a five. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it's this is a team that we kind of feel like it's 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 where we thought it would might be at this point. You know, first couple of games you play really well against bad competition, then you learn a lot about you know what you really are when you play a really good team away from home. Right? Um, there are some good things about this team for sure. Uh, they stop the run really really well. Uh, they run the ball really really well. You see Bo Nix taking some steps forward. There's talent in the secondary. They just got to tighten up some things. There's potential at wide receiver. They just got to, you know, got a lot of growing up to do. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot to like about this football team, but this is, you know, early in a new system and a new scheme and a new staff on both sides of the ball. And so it's a work in progress. It's one of those things where I think Auburn it benefits a lot from LSU not looking so hot to start the season compared to what we thought they would be, but it's LSU. They're going to be one of the most talented teams in the country. They're playing at home, you know, it's eight o'clock uh, local time game. So it's going to be good and loud and rowdy in Death Valley. Um, so it's not going to be easy by any means. And, and it's going to be a tough, you know, when you haven't won at a place since 1999, getting a win period there is going to be tough. Um, so I think for this Auburn team, they got to continue to learn more about themselves. They know they have a lot of hard work ahead of them to get to where they want to be. And that's the focus right now. And so um, I think there was enough good and enough not so good from the Penn State game uh, that if you are on the pessimistic or the uh, you know optimistic side of the Auburn fan base, you can find things to point to and, and you know, kind of let that color how you feel about the Tigers moving forward. Uh, I say – you know, kind of shoot it straight down the middle until until we see them uh, get into the meat of this SEC schedule. And so it'll be very interesting to see what, where they're at next week. It's hard to tell this early on if these comparisons a- actually stick yet. And looking back when, when you know, we're eight, nine weeks down from now, we'll, we'll, we'll know more about this. But I want your thoughts on this. You look back, 2017, Auburn gives up 13 sacks to Clemson in week two. You look back into 2016, they have a tough game to open up the year against Clemson. You also look back into 2013, they lose to LSU in week four. They lose by two touchdowns. But kind of common denominator in all of those seasons is, despite those early year losses to Power 5 teams, they turned it around. How much does this game, where Auburn loses only by eight, looks a heck of a lot better in this game than they did in any of those other three, right? How how you know how how similar does this game feel maybe to those moments? Yeah, I think it's just it depends on you know what you do from here, right? You know, each one of those teams, sixteen, seventeen, thirteen, they found what worked on offense and they built around it in the weeks to you know the weeks after that loss. And for Auburn, they are, I think are playing with a little bit more of an advantage because they 
did not look offensively as hopeless as they did in, in those other games. Um, so you got a better foundation to work with here. But it's a really tough schedule, and it's a really tough schedule on the front side of it. There's not a clean runway um, to get you really moving at full speed by the time you hit the really tough games because the really tough games – I mean, your, 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 your warm-up games have already gone by. Once you get, once you get past – this week against Georgia State, it's eight straight against SEC opponents, right? So um, it's a different situation, but yeah, I mean, you learn a lot about a team. Some people, some teams say, you know, if, you know, some coaches say, you know, okay, well, you learn the most about your team between week one and week two. I, I, you know, I don't know if that necessarily rang true from Auburn because you went from a bad FBS team to an FCS team. Maybe what you learn most about your team is from week three to week four, just because that week, you know, that week three test was as tough as it is. So, um, Auburn got a lot to learn, uh, you know, from this game. Got a lot of lessons to learn, I should say, uh, from this past game. They got a lot of work, a lot to work on. I think they're going to really benefit from having this, you know, one more tune-up game, and then it is, you know, right into the teeth of a really tough schedule. So um, there are some similarities, uh, and I think Auburn's playing a little bit more from uh, from ahead on the offensive uh, side of the ball. I think they, you know, kind of know what their identity is, uh, but they've got to lean into it and then start building around it uh, moving forward, and that and that starts this week. Justin, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us this afternoon. Tell everybody where they can find all your content. Yeah, AuburnObserver.com. You can check it out there. Uh, do a newsletter about four or five times a week, um, and then a couple podcasts as well, uh, breaking down uh, Auburn, all the action there. Had a film room yesterday on the pass defense. Uh, had a story today on the wide receivers. We'll have another story on the offense tomorrow morning. Uh, mailbag on Friday, a lot of stuff throughout the weekend. So if you want to check it out, auburnobserver.com. Sign up there. $6 a month or $60 a year gets you on the list. And uh, once you're in and paid, uh, everything we do, uh, writing-wise or podcast-wise, gets sent straight to your email inbox so you can read and listen on your own time. Justin, I appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a good rest of your afternoon. Yeah, absolutely, y'all too. Thank you. That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer here with us for the Tuesday edition of On the Line. We'll be back to wrap up hour number one on the other side of this break. Wrapping up hour number one of the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. A good conversation there from Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. If you've missed any of today's show so far, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. we got a fun hour number two planned for everybody coming up. We'll start off with making headlines as well as going back and looking at some other games that have happened around college football over this past weekend. But we'll also continue to break down Auburn-Penn State and what this all means for Auburn moving forward. Before we get out of here for hour number one, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. pair of crime shows on cbs's tuesday lineup with new episodes of fbi at seven and fbi most wanted at eight over on nbc from seven to nine the voice is back for part two of the blind auditions some movie selections for tonight mel gibson and danny glover star in lethal weapon on amc at seven marvel movie with spider-man far from home on fx at six live sports we have two major league baseball games on television crucial AL East matchup between the Toronto Blue Jays and the Tampa Bay Rays on ESPN at 610 and then over on FS1 at 910 the San Francisco Giants are at the San Diego Padres 
College soccer on ESPNU at 6 with Notre Dame at Michigan. I know who Lance will be rooting for in that game. Following it at 8, it's a replay of this past weekend's upset in college football with BYU knocking off Arizona State. And that's what's on TV tonight. Lance, you have a vested interest in Notre Dame-Michigan this evening? College soccer? I will watch simply to watch Notre Dame lose. (laughs) If they're losing, I'll tune in. I want to go back to something we were talking about a couple segments ago to wrap up our number one here. We were breaking down Auburn football's schedule and scale of comfortability that we have with them moving forward. We asked Justin Ferguson the question. He said five. I'm at a seven right now. I think Auburn matches up well with some of these teams that are coming up down the line for them. Arkansas is a team that I think Auburn matches up really well with, a team that I think a lot of Auburn fans are are super concerned with right now. But what's the one thing missing from Arkansas's offense at this point? Oh, yes, the passing game. You See, I was going to say sell me on this schedule because I had written down a five as well. And so, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the passing And what game. does Auburn do very well right now on the defensive side of the football? They stop the run. Exactly. So I'm not overly concerned with what Arkansas does from an offensive standpoint. Arkansas out-physical Texas. I don't think Arkansas is going to be able to out-physical Auburn on defense. Now, if they all of a sudden invent a passing game over the next couple of weeks, then – I might get concerned. This game against Texas A&M is going to tell me a lot about this Arkansas team if they're going to be able to out-physical good SEC defenses. At this point, I don't think they're going to be able to. You look down the line, you got Georgia. I Just go ahead, chalk that one up as a loss. I think Georgia's the best team in college football right now. After that, of course, I already talked about the Arkansas game. Then you got Ole Miss. Ole Miss scares me. I, I think Alabama fans should be worried about Ole Miss at this point. Of course, have they played anybody at this point? No but the passing game is legit we knew it was legit last year they put up a ton of points on Alabama last year so I still think they're going to be able to score and right now Auburn's main weakness is Ole Miss's main strength so that game concerns me a little bit at this point but I don't think we know a whole lot about the Ole Miss defense I still don't think they're going to be very good at stopping the run I still think Auburn should be able to put some points on them it just comes down to whether or not Auburn can control the clock in that ball game and keep that Ole Miss offense off the field be able to score with consistency you know and win another game like they did last year 34-28 something like that after that I'm you know my feelings on Texas A&M I don't think that they've shown us anything at this point on the offensive side of the football to make me think that that won't be a very competitive game in College Station and if you're like oh it's on the road it's like Auburn wins in College Station that Mm -hmm. that hasn't been a problem in the past A&M hasn't been very good at stopping the run at this point this year Colorado was able to run the football relatively effectively against them Kent State was able to do it I think Auburn should be able to run the ball against A&M. And you're looking at Saturday, November 6th. At that point, Bo Nix will have played Arkansas on the road. He'll play LSU on the road. That will be a rocking environment in College Station, but nothing more than what he saw at LSU or in Happy Valley. I think Auburn's passing game will will have come a lot longer, a lot further along than than maybe even A&M's at that point. So that'll be a competitive football game, but I still give Auburn the edge at this point. So that's why I'm selling you on, on a seven. Going into the year, I said floor is at least an eight for Auburn. I'm still sticking to that. And you know what I said? I said Auburn had to take two out of three between LSU, A&M, and Penn State. Can you do that? And um, I I think that's still very much so on the board for Auburn, considering that stretch of games right there, LSU, Georgia, Arkansas, Ole Miss, A&M. I think A&M and LSU are the two weakest teams across that stretch of five. I said this, I believe, on yesterday's show. I think A&M's the weakest opponent out of all five of those games. Like, I truly believe that. That number that number seven ranking does not scare me until they find a quarterback. And I'm, I'm wondering, they looked good against New, Mexico, uh, against New Mexico this past weekend, but we'll have to see when they play Arkansas. I think LSU's getting better, too, so it's everybody's getting better early in this season. 
Hour number two of On the Line coming up at 3 p.m. Stay with us. You're listening to On the Line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun hour number one there. And if you missed any of it, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We're taking your calls all hour number two, as well as your text on the text line at 334-564-1800. That's how you can reach us here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Lance, fun hour number one there. If anybody missed any of it, be sure to go and find us on demand on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Yeah, absolutely. Got some great stuff uh, loaded up on the podcast. Again, find it wherever you get your podcasts. We have been uh, putting out, I don't want to brag, but we've been putting out some pretty good shows recently, at least in my opinion, because college football is back. We've got stuff to talk about. Don't mean to brag, but but, we're doing pretty good right now. It's been a fantastic couple of weeks now that college football is finally back. That's right. And I want to start off hour number two here with our making headlines segment. And I don't know, Lance, did you see some of the things that Georgia State head coach Sean Elliott had to say yesterday? I saw him make a couple. I I saw the fact that he made a couple of jokes, but I didn't actually read too much into it. This man's got jokes. I'm working on pulling up the quotes right now from his press conference. But one of them was, and this is pretty good. Look, some folks have gotten mad about this on social media. I'm not mad about it. It seems like he was just kidding around. But uh, this was one of the things that got people riled up. He said, quote, you know, it's two totally different scenarios. I don't think just because they've got a big old stadium right there and they like to cheer and there's going to be a little eagle fly over us. I don't think we're all going to be just shell-shocked and look up there and go, oh my gosh, you know, it's a football contest. We'll go play it just like every other football contest. Yeah, and I think I think some people will uh, not take too kindly to that. Auburn by 50 now, but I, I thought it was kind of funny. I, 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 didn't, I didn't take too much offense to it. I, and, I, and and that's not why I'm bringing it up here. I just thought it was humorous. Yeah. I, I thought it was a humorous thing and uh, to, to add a little bit on to this game coming up this weekend. Georgia State has not had a good start to their football season. This is not the Georgia State team that we thought they were going to be. And if you remember, we put up some some grades for this Georgia State team that mm-hmm. caught some flack too from folks because folks thought that maybe we were being a little bit too down on Georgia State. But at this point, they've been beaten by Army 43-10. to North Carolina 59 to 17 and they struggle bust their way to victory over Charlotte 20 to 9 and Charlotte is not a very good football team yeah it's not been an impressive record so far and Cornelius Brown the quarterback that I thought was going to be taking the reins and playing this season has kind of been splitting time both quarterbacks that Georgia State has they're both dual threat guys and, and like Ferguson mentioned they're trying to run a little bit of an option style offense right now and it's not worked perfectly I, I doubt that they uh, they 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 begin to have momentum against Auburn, especially given 
uh, if they if they can't generate a passing game. If they're trying to run the ball, I just don't know how much success they have against the Tigers this weekend. At this point, looking at that Georgia State defense that has allowing 37 points allowed per game, they are giving up nearly 200 rushing yards per game. I think I can see where Auburn's going to have success here. <laughs> course in the passing game they're giving up 220 so this defense bleeding yardage bleeding points and they've given up a, a, a lot to and granted North Carolina's a good football team I think they're beginning to take steps in the right du- direction at least from an offensive standpoint Army seems to be better than maybe some people were giving them credit for in the preseason Charlotte eh, I know they upset Duke earlier in the year but um I, I still don't think that they're one of the the sun uh, not the sunbelt they're not one of the conference USA's gyms or anything like that of course so Georgia State has not gotten out the gates here early in a positive way but um you know and like I said I don't think that they're going to be able to really do a whole lot against Auburn either this is one that me and you were chalking up in the preseason as as a team that might be able to to provide some issues for Auburn at least from an offensive standpoint really the main thing here I I don't think Auburn's going to generate a ton of sacks I think they've got a quarterback that can miss them in the backfield I think he can you know extend plays with his legs that may be a continued people may be pulling their hair out in this game it's 3 p.m game people may be like why can't we get a sack right and and it's it's this one it will not be for a lack of pressure it'll be more from just general athleticism from the quarterback being able to evade pressure yeah and again it like you just mentioned they do have two quarterbacks on roster that are dual threat guys and I just don't know how often Auburn's going to be able to get to the quarterback if they do decide to throw it but I think we're going to see something similar to what we saw against Penn State, which is a lot of tackles for loss. If they're going to try and run the ball, I think Auburn's going to be able to get into the backfield pretty consistently. And if Georgia State's trying to be that option team right now, don't see them having a lot of success. For fill-in-the-blank Friday, we'll need to do a over-under on passing yards for Georgia State, which is currently only averaging 119.3 passing yards. 119, not 90, 19. That's very, very low. So um, this Auburn secondary, if they don't play well, I will be I will be concerned going into the LSU game. This is going to be one where I expect Auburn secondary to not be tested a whole lot. Honestly, it should be able to hold Georgia State very much so to that average or a little bit lower. Um, if they if they give up less than one fifty, I'll be pleased through the air because I think Georgia State at some point they will have to throw because they'll be playing from behind for a long ways whenever you asked the you were about to say the over under I thought in my mind 150 or less and I would take the under because if Auburn has more than that like you said I would be just slightly concerned heading into that LSU matchup going on to our second headline of making headlines the 2022 SEC football schedules are announced tonight at 6 p.m SEC network in case you didn't know that and I I Man, I really wanted to see Oklahoma and Texas potentially get on the schedule, but since they're announcing it so early, I don't think it's going to happen. I think they're just. Oh, no, gonna... they're, I'm pretty sure they're left off. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm, I just want it to happen. I want it to happen uh, before 2025. I want to see it happen in 2023 or something like that. I'd kind of like to see uh the the schedule makers make that happen soon but it is exciting to see uh how the schedule is going to play out i believe auburn gets to play missouri at home it's the first time that they've gotten to play the tigers i believe since 2017 uh they're going to get to play them at home Uh, it's 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 a schedule that includes going on the road to alabama and georgia it's going to be tough but i'm going to i'm going to be interested to see how it uh, it all plays out i'm interested to see where georgia lies on the schedule if it's going to be another early october game It'll definitely be split up from Alabama because that's what Auburn right. wanted. And so that'll that'll be something to look out at at that schedule, see where LSU falls. I think that's the game where I want to see most. If you're if you're looking at an SEC game, which team, you know, where does LSU fall? Are they going to be close to Alabama? Because we saw on a schedule last year before COVID hit and everything, LSU was going to be set to be played 
near Alabama at the end of the season that got shaken up a little bit and then you look at um you also look at this year you got LSU right behind Georgia so where does LSU end up falling is it spread out is it balanced that's the question yeah and 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 like like you said I'm I'm curious about Georgia because in the year where Auburn was playing in a COVID schedule they played Georgia week two and this year they get to play them on in October again it's just curious how early do they have LSU how early do they have Georgia there are a lot of things that we're going to be able to speculate over uh moving forward but it's nice in September it's nice I guess to have schedules like this announced for next year but it's very similar to the way that I'm approaching like playoff talk and stuff like that it's not that I don't want to hear it it's just that I'm kind of focusing on the start of the season still so, I mean, it's a good thing, but at the same time, I'm still focused on the opponents Auburn has currently on schedule. Let's head to the phone lines now. Number to call, 334-321-1390 is how you can get in touch with us. And we've got Keith on the line with us. Keith, how's it going today? I'm good. How are y'all? We're doing really well. What's on your mind, my man? Well, I, I just heard about the heard y'all talking about the rush and everything, and uh, it just brought something to my mind that I've been looking at on TV a lot is uh, – you know, the uh, I believe that that game uh, affected the SEC refs more than it did our team. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the wideout. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, on both sides, I mean, they made some uh, questionable calls. Like, uh, you know, they, when they went for the first down on, uh, uh, or went for it on fourth down, and you know, I guess they blew the whistle early. But there's no question that guy made it the second time. You know, the big guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you know it was an extended play but uh you know i didn't hear the whistle till, till he yeah. went down he went he definitely went down across the line and then the uh you know the down markers they right. did that twice and uh but the the real ones that uh i was concerned about was like the third play of the game on that uh when uh you know he's just standing back there forever yep i played that back over and over and over because it looked like a uh, pass blocking drill where the defensive line was playing along. Yeah. Um, but if you look at Moultrie, I mean, I said, you know, he just stood there like they're dancing or something. I mean, he can't move. He's not doing a spin move. And I said, how is that happening? How many did and, Auburn uh, send on that play? Was it just three? It was just three. It was just three. And the, you know, the other two were locked up with double teams and then, but they were all spread out. There's nobody else around. It wasn't a crowd, so I mean, it was very easily easily to see. But uh, you know, I played it back over and over and over. And what happened? That big old dude has our big our big dude by the under the shoulder pads on uh, each side, and he had him locked down where he couldn't jump, he couldn't spin, he couldn't do anything. He had him he had Moultrie locked down, and uh, it's just uh, that's not being picky. That I mean, if you look at it, that that's just plain as day and and uh like i said there was a crowd there and there was a referee on each side i mean that's what they're trained to pick up i mean uh uh even if it was like a little defensive back or something they would have been bouncing off or something and he's just got Moultrie locked down standing there <laughs> and yeah. he can't spin or anything and yeah, it definitely was not off. a great day for the officials <laughs> <laughs> no and then uh you know the 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 uh there at the end when we went for it, you know, it, maybe it wasn't a, a good uh, call uh, on on fourth down there in the end zone. But uh, to me, I played it back over and over, and it looked like, you know, it could have been pass interference on both of the receivers over there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I know they, they were hand-checking and stuff like that, but, uh, you know, uh, and he, he never even let him uh, – 
get off the line, I mean, you know, hand checking a little bit is one thing, but, you know, he wound up going down. And I, I know they got tripped up a little bit, but they were locked up. And then, but the other receiver that was next to him, Shed. You know, yeah, he, he uh, looked like it could have been pass interference on him, too. But um, I just think that, uh, you know, I'm not just uh, going completely on that because we, we could have had a lot better uh, pass rushes and and, and uh, blitzing and and the covering and all that kind of stuff but uh i don't think that was a great look for our officials yeah it was there was definitely some stuff throughout the ball game i was like what is going on and then of course you you go to the the third down play uh, it was third down and long uh, when penn state was backed up on their own one yard line and yep. they just chunked the ball down the field you know and i've seen some replays of that where it's like wow that that maybe could have been called both ways you know maybe it was the Penn State player that was you know doing a really good theater act right or or maybe there was some pass interference on Auburn there it was just throughout the ball game not a whole lot of PI and then that one comes out even though there was a play that looked very similar to it in the end zone on the previous drive I'm with you there was some stuff going on that ball game where I was like what in the world well on the play on the shot play that Penn State ran on third down Pritchett ha- grabs the, the, the receiver's shirt or something just a little bit, and then Pritchett goes back to make a play on the ball. He lets him go, and the Penn State receiver grabs his shoulder and prevents falls him down. from rotating around, and then the Penn State receiver falls down, and he sold it really well. But like you said, it probably could have gone either way, but you can't do that. The play the Kirk was saying is like, yeah, Pritchett never got his head around. He wasn't making a play on the ball. Well, he tried to, and the Penn State receiver prevented him from doing so. It's just like, how are you going to call that in that instance, and then keep Keith, like you're saying, on the play before, or a couple plays before for Auburn, Shed looked like he was held trying to run a slant uh, in the end zone, and then Kobe was grabbed so hard that he fell down. So it's just, like you said, Auburn could have won that game by doing things better defensively, but the officiating certainly didn't help. No, and, uh, you know, kudos to that Penn State guy, lineman, if he can get away with hope. I mean, if you get away with it, it's it's good for you, I guess, if you're a lineman. But uh, that, that guy, he had... Moultrie locked down in a way that it just uh after you look at it it was so obvious uh but he he didn't have him grabbed uh, like a big old wide he just had his uh big hands up under his shoulder pads and had him locked down where he couldn't move like a kid i mean that guy must be absolutely one of the strongest people in the, on the earth or something <laughs> keith we <laughs> anyway. uh we appreciate it my man all right man see you that was keith on the line with us number to call three three four three two one. 1390 that's how you can reach us here on the show today still continuing along with our making headline segment here some other stuff going around in the sports world we'll take a look at the nfl here last night fantasy owners will delight in aaron jones's four touchdown performance uh fantasy owners of the people on the other on the other side though like myself who was playing somebody who had aaron jones uh they will not be happy i had that game won last night until aaron jones popped off for four tds and then yeah, I did not have it once. So. Did not participate in a fantasy league this year, but I did last year, and I drafted Jones, and he was incredibly solid for me. And had I gotten to play this year, I had already decided he might have been my number one pick for the memes, and also he would do something like this. Well, just giving out everybody an update on my fantasy team. The sissy blue shirts are 0-2 right now. <laughs> so kind of fits the name a little bit, but the sissy blue shirts are 0-2. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, thank you to Ed Orgeron for for the namesake. <laughs> Appreciate that, Ed. Uh, some other NFL headlines here. Looking at quarterbacks, Tyrod Taylor is not expected to play on Thursday against the Panthers. In fact, Davis Mills will start for the Houston Texans on Thursday night 
And then also Ben Roethlisberger joined a long list of key Steeler players that are dealing with an injury currently. Feels like a lot of players in the NFL are just falling to the injury bug right now. A lot now. of quarterbacks got hurt on Sunday. And for Roethlisberger, I don't want to say that this is a good thing for the Steelers or this is a good thing for him, but at some point, man, like it's 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 clear he's on his last leg. This is the end of his career. They need to start looking at some options either in their QB room, in, in trading for somebody, or looking at this draft. They've got to get ready to put another quarterback in there because he is just about done. That's it for another segment of On the Line. We'll be back with more on the other side of this break here on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl here on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Big thank you there to Keith for calling in in that previous segment. Number to call, 334-321-1390. If you want to call in and chime in on anything we're talking about or bring something else up going on in the sports world, we want to hear from you. I want to go back to some of the ball games that happened this past weekend, give some of our takeaways. This was something that we didn't get fully into yesterday talked about a few games talked about alabama florida talked about oklahoma nebraska now i want to look at some of the other games that happened around the top 25 and then maybe how that's impacting the ap top 25 at that point some perceptions i mean it's been a wacky year so far in college football it's kind of hard to glean anything from anybody here at this moment just just little bits of evidence on 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 certain teams here and i want to talk about a game that happened out in the big 10 and a team that will be joining the big 12 in the near future cincinnati took down indiana 38 to 24 I don't think either of these teams looked great, but uh, it definitely looked like a step in the right direction for Indiana getting back to being a more competitive team than what they looked like against Iowa in week one. And then on the flip side, Cincinnati, I thought, didn't look good early on, but in the second half, they played much better. And for whatever reason, you know, last week they were, or two weeks ago, they had a hard time with Murray State, at least separating there. And then they had a hard time separating early on against Indiana. The second half Cincinnati team looked like a Cincinnati team that belonged inside the top 10. I will say, though, for the majority of that first half, I mean, it was 10 7 Indiana heading into the half. Yeah. Desmond Ritter did not look good. And he, I would say, it was 14 to 10 going into the half, Indiana. My bad. He, he, I would say throughout most of the game, just did not look not. I I don't want to say competent. He was just missing throws. The ball was coming out of his hand weird. He was just being inaccurate. He only Uh, had 5.8 yards per attempt. That's no good. The pressure was getting to him. He just did not look. This offense did not look good. But as you said, towards the end of the game, uh, Cincinnati started to put things together and they they ran away with it, especially in the fourth quarter. Um, but yeah, the Cincinnati team's on the right track. Indiana looked competitive for the majority of that ball game. They were controlling the game until Cincinnati had a kick return for a TD. After seeing the way that Cincinnati played for that that uh, that first half, you know, it gives me some concern heading into this Notre Dame game here in a couple of weeks. Whether or not they will uh, actually be able to pull that game off uh, if Desmond Ritter struggles on the road, but they do get a bye week before they play the Fighting Irish. I will give them that, but. I think the Cincinnati team, if they're going to make, if they're going to make a run to the playoff, if they're going to have even a shot and they're going to run the table, they've got to be more consistent. And Desmond Ritter has to improve as a quarterback. One hundred percent. And you look at the upcoming schedule for Cincinnati; they get to play Notre Dame in two weeks. They're on a bye week right now. Notre Dame has the tough task, has their toughest games of the year upcoming over these next two weeks. They play Wisconsin this weekend, and then they will host Cincinnati. So. Cincinnati's got an opportunity to prove that they belong they're in an interesting situation though I think they need to root for Notre Dame to win this weekend not that they would want 
not not they would have interest in Notre Dame losing or anything like that but I think for Cincinnati's playoff hopes it helps them a lot if Notre Dame wins this weekend against Wisconsin it really hurt that UCF lost to Louisville yes. because at that point whenever Cincinnati played them at home since UCF would have been either a fringe top 25 team or just inside the top 25 and when you talk about resumes at the end of the year and the college football playoff committee looking at those resumes having as many top 25 wins as possible would have been crucial and not having that now uh, is really important but like you said they've got to make the most out of the rest of their schedule and they've got to go out there and and have the teams that they play win and so for Notre Dame yeah, I agree with you. I think Notre Dame's got to go out there and beat Wisconsin in order for Cincinnati to head into that matchup and, and, and win it because at the end of the day, it's it's a, it's a resume booster. Some of the other games that happened this past weekend, UCLA, a team that you and I liked a lot. A lot of people in college football liked them considering how high they rose up to like 13th last week. They lose to Fresno State 40-37 to in a barn burner. Held a lead with a minute left in the ball game. Fresno State drives down the field, takes the game away from them. And Jake Hayner, I believe, I didn't get to see the end of the game, but apparently he was injured to the point where he literally couldn't stand and he still managed to throw the game-winning touchdown pass. Just an incredible performance uh, from Fresno State's quarterback, Jake Hayner, threw for 455 passing yards. He was just absolutely outstanding. And, yeah, this UCLA team that we thought was going to be a little bit better heading into this season uh, fell victim to a, a very potent passing attack. If I went into this ball game telling you that Dorian Thompson-Robinson was going to throw for 278 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions, what would you have said the outcome would have been? It would have been a UCLA blowout. Probably. Exactly. Because if he's firing on all cylinders, I can only imagine what the rest of the offense is doing, what the ground game's doing, but they were not able to uh, to execute. I'm just... This this one, I woke up to this on, on Sunday morning, and I was like, what happened? What in the world? And um, it's just further indication that this is this is very bad for the Pac-12. Oregon's their only hope at this point, and I, you know, I'm I'm not so certain from what we've seen out of Oregon at this point. I know they thumped Ohio State, or at least it felt like, and I know it was a one-score ball game, but the way that they moved the ball on Ohio State on the ground made that feel a little bit greater than just a one-touchdown win because they they were averaging over seven yards per carry, but. That's a big win on Ohio State, but then you see Ohio State struggle a week later against Tulsa. It's just a a really up-and-down, topsy-turvy league. I wouldn't be shocked if Oregon loses to somebody that they shouldn't. Then the Pac-12 misses another playoff. And then it's just a four-team SEC playoff at this point. Let's just go (laughs) ahead and put them all in. I mean, Auburn, Ole Miss, Georgia, The SEC at this point has several teams you're like, yeah, if these guys keep winning, they're, like they have at least two right now in Alabama, Georgia, that I feel like have a great shot at making the playoff. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other leagues right now, they're like shoe-in candidate is struggling. Yep. Oklahoma struggling, Clemson struggling, Ohio State is struggling. The Pac-12, Oregon looks good, but once again, I don't trust the league. Oregon's looked good early on, and then they lay an egg on a Friday night ball game to somebody that they shouldn't, and then all of a sudden they could be out of contention. But what's good for Oregon right now is. One more loss for Clemson probably means the end of the ACC's hopes. One more loss for Ohio State probably means the end for the Big Ten. Of course, maybe somebody out of the Big Ten could end up no loss or or maybe even one loss, maybe a one-loss Penn State or something like that. But there's just still so much left in college football. And for some of these big-name teams to already have a loss this early on, like Clemson, Ohio State, it's going to make for a very interesting week to week revealing of college football playoff rankings and it's going to be really exciting whenever that point comes because again like you said just a lot of stuff going on right now uh, in college football 
It's been so fun so far this season, and I hope it continues to be entertaining. We got a text from Rick in Rainsville in regards to the officiating during the Auburn-Penn State game. I've heard a lot about the loss of down, the PI calls, and then even the targeting call. I'm absolutely stunned that the biggest uproar has not been about the blown safety call that was not even reviewed. Talk about a game-changing call. Auburn would have then been down six, gotten the ball, three minutes left, and two timeouts. By far the biggest blown call of the game. And then he sent a screenshot of the actual play. And when Noah Kane's knee was down, I'm going to be honest with you, that ball is either right there on the white line or he, he's still in the end zone and he, his knee is, his, is down. So, yeah, it was, it was definitely a call that I think they should have reviewed. Um, I didn't get to take a look at it uh, like live, like in time. I couldn't To not tell. review it is interesting, but also you look at where they spotted the ball out of the end zone. Yes, I was like, no way the football made it there. That was what No way. That is what made me the the most upset in the moment is because I completely forgot about the safety. I'm like, okay, I think he might have gotten out the out of the end zone. But to put it almost at the one yard line. Yeah, I was like, the ball did not get out that not far. Not even close. Yeah. To not yeah. review that play, that that is to not at least review the play. Now whatever they called on the field, that would have made it very difficult to overturn based off of the video footage that you get, right? But Man, to not even review it—that that is head scratching. It looks by the by the by the looks of the screenshot is the rule that the ball has to just be touching the white line to be considered out of the end zone, or if it's if it's within the white line and in the end zone, it's still a safety. Do you know if the if that's the rule? The the ball has to, a portion of the football has to be beyond that white line. In which case, it was definitely a safety, and they should have reviewed it. Looking at the screenshot, his knee is down. His the entire ball and his arm are within the white line. Therefore, it would have been a safety. They should have at least reviewed it. Now, in time, I like would have liked to have seen whether or not it truly was a safety. Based on that screenshot, it looks like it is. But I'm not necessarily upset about the fact of whether or not it was a safety. I'm upset about the fact that they didn't review it and that it was put on almost the one yard line. Again, just a lot of things happened late in that game with this officiating crew and even Keith pointing out about how man, you know, Auburn could have won this game at different points and they shot themselves in the foot. But this officiating crew did not do them a whole lot of favors on Saturday night and it was just an incredibly frustrating game to watch as a fan and it's a testament again to where this Auburn team is at as a program right they got so close on the on the on the road against a top 10 team and they didn't fold if they don't get robbed in certain instances by the officiating crew you you would only like you would only imagine what this program is going to do moving forward you talk about that slate the five games coming up it, you should, as an Auburn fan, you still should still have a lot of confidence moving forward, and I think this defense is going to adjust, and I think that this team is, is going to get better, and if they don't get blown calls like that, they'll do just fine. On the other side of this break, we continue our Saturday takeaways, and we're going to give our most important games of the Week 4 slate. Stick with us. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Whatever's on your mind. We've had calls. We've had text. You join in on the show. Chip in and tell us what's on your mind in the sports world, whether it be Auburn, Pitt State, Auburn football against Georgia State, whatever you want to talk about, we will hash it out with you. Lance, let's move on to some other ball games that happened this past weekend. 
Michigan State-Miami is a game that you and I went back and forth on a little bit on Friday. You picked Miami to win. I've completely backed off the Hurricanes after saying they would be pretty good this season. Uh, I picked Michigan State to win this ball game, and I didn't really have a reason why. And Michigan State went into Miami, and they blew the Hurricanes out 38-17. to and uh, you were you were right about this uh, Rhett Lashley offense, and it, it has just not been able to get anything going so far this season. Dear was King. I Lance? Because I keep buying that they're going to win and turn it around at some point. I, I still picked Miami in this game. I said it in the summer, and then I I didn't I didn't stick to it in picks. It's frustrating. It's uh, <laughs> I don't even feel good about this one because I thought Miami was going to be good this season, and I've just I've backed off of it before the <laughs> before the year started started. But I don't I don't feel good about it. Peyton Thorne. Uh, the Michigan State quarterback threw four touchdowns, 18 of 31, 261 yards. Uh, Kenneth Walker, the Michigan State running back, had 172 rushing yards, averaged 6.4 yards a carry. This uh, Michigan State team ha- has done what they needed to do uh, through the first three games of the season, and they have looked sharp. They've got Nebraska this weekend, and they are on a roll. Yes, they are. And I, if they beat Nebraska, this is the Michigan State team to keep your eyes on, especially considering they've entered the top 25. Michigan right now, also, I think they're inside the top 20 now. So you got Michigan State and Michigan. Both those teams are good at the same time for what seems like the first time in a while. That'll be a fun time when those two teams play each other. I think Michigan's got a pretty good shot to be Rutgers. Michigan looks to be getting better on a week to be week week on a week to week basis. But I want to go back to Miami here. Manny Diaz all right two years in this is his third season two years in he's 15 and 12 overall 11 and 6 in the conference he's lost two bowl games hasn't finished higher than third in the coastal yet starts out this year one and two where are we probably probably in a bad spot uh, moving forward because I'm looking at the rest of this Miami schedule right now you got Virginia in a couple weeks on the road at North Carolina NC State at home and then at Pittsburgh that four game stretch right there it is daunting enough, especially given how potent Virginia's offense has been. We'll talk about them in just a couple minutes. But you get Georgia Tech at home after that, at Florida State, Virginia Tech at home, and then at Duke to wrap up the season. I mean, there there are there are more losses on this schedule. Yes, yes. I it's it's going to be tough. Um, can they get to a bowl game? I think it's possible. I think they definitely got a shot to do it, but it's not going to be an easy road for sure. And six and six or seven and five, I don't know if that gets you and it gets you enough to where your Miami as a program saying we're going to keep Diaz another year especially with Derek King graduating you know we all thought you that had he was your be best good. quarterback that you were going to get and we, this is what you've got we all thought that he was going to be good currently right now he's got three touchdowns to four picks and he's only ran for 96 yards on the season so far so he uh he has been limited in what he's been able to do and I think part of that goes back to what you're talking about with Rhett Lashley and uh him not uh being a good offensive coordinator but yeah this Miami program was twin trending up for for just a little bit and now they're kind of trending back down my thing is Florida State could be looking for a head coach at the end of this year Miami could be looking at a head coach at the end of this year what if Gus Malzahn ends up back in the ACC at one of these programs oh man I would not want to see Malzahn <laughs> at Florida State that is the last place that I would want to that see would him just there. be wrong right? that, would, that would just be a foul like, I'm, I'm like, joking I don't think that'll happen but think about this Lane Kiffin for one of these two jobs do you think Lane Kiffin leaves Ole Miss for for a, a place like Florida State or? Um, There's more resources at both of those schools to offer those programs, not just in recruiting, but also in uh, just just generally. There are more resources in the Miami at Florida State programs. I feel like than Ole Miss. I mean, sure, but after definitely Florida State. After but. two years, is he going to leave Ole Miss? 
I, I think I give him a couple more years with the Rebels. I think the, what what is the longest stint for Lane Kiffin? Like three years with Florida Atlantic, though, as a head coach. Might be. Maybe he's been I, a bit of a journeyman in his career. I wouldn't be surprised if Kiffin stuck around until the end of Corral's career. This could that could be it now. I don't know. I don't. I don't know with the with the guys coming back next season. Like just that offense is going to be so good again next year. If they want to make a run at it and they get Alabama at home, I, I don't know. I feel like maybe Lane Kiffin would want to stay for one more year. The longest Lane Kiffin has ever stayed anywhere in his head coaching career is three years and or three seasons and five games he was left on the tarmac at usc in 2013 in his fourth year five games into it so i'm just saying he's not he's not necessarily been now granted the florida atlantic situation he's leaving florida atlantic to go to old miss uh he did his he did his due diligence at at florida atlantic you know things ran out at at usc Ole Miss things are are looking up right now but I, I still think it's very early to to talk about this Ole Miss team in, in this light that they're just going to have this knockout year I mean once again it's early for everybody in college football they look good they have the makings of being a real contender and, and pushing Alabama in a couple of weeks but I, I still they pushed Alabama last year and what to do for them they finished five and five four and five you know I mean I think Ole Miss is good but where did they finish this year I'm just saying Miami and uh the, you know Hugh Freeze is going to be an option in this coaching carousel i'm sure if liberty has another great year hugh freeze's name continues to come up it seems like in jobs just nobody actually pulls the trigger there's going to be some attractive coaching names on the coaching carousel matt campbell luke fickle usc searching you could have a coaching carousel with usc miami and florida state wild i'm not putting it out of the realm of possibility and again jamie chadwell a guy that i thought would would have left coastal carolina by now they're not playing well right by the way this season like they've struggled against some teams that they should have beaten by a lot kansas buffalo the only one by three points yep uh gonna need to see coastal step it up they're not playing like a top 20 team in the country right now but yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't leave it out of the realm of possibility i just i would like to see kiffin stay with the rebels because i, I, I feel like it kind of fits in oxford another lance dog gut game <laughs> West Virginia knocks off Virginia Tech 27-21. And I don't feel good about this game either because, again, I didn't really cite a reason as to why other than I thought, you know, West Virginia's got Letty Brown and it's at home, so why not Why not pick West Virginia? But, yeah, they came out of the gates firing on all cylinders, but this game ended up pretty close. 27-21 was the final. You were not really sold on this Virginia Tech team, and it kind of, I agree with you, it gave me cause for concern heading into a place like West Virginia. Would they be able to come out on top? But, but I still picked them. You still picked them. My em. gut was shouting at me and said, Pick the Mountaineers. And I said, Shut up. I'm going with Virginia Tech. I think I'm 5 0 in gut games this year, and I was telling you earlier, I don't think I'm going to pick another one just so that I can say that I was undefeated just based off no statistics or reason at all. I'm just like, Yeah, I think this team's going to win. But and yeah, that's typically how it goes. West Virginia is not. I don't think they're like a fantastic team. Will they get in the top twenty-five at some point this year? I doubt it. Um, but yeah, it's just. A, I don't know. I, th- I think they could get there. Let's see where are they at right now. Are they receiving votes? Well, the thing is, they, they play, are receiving votes. Only fourteen. They play they're a little ways out. They're they in play, the thirties. They play Oklahoma this week, and so I'm just thinking, like, if they lose that game, you know, how long is it going to take for them to get to a point where they could get back or like close to the top twenty-five? And that'll be a game that we'll pick at the end of this week, and I'll need some time to chew on that. Night game in Norman does not seem like the type of environment that West Virginia is going to traipse into and, and walk out with a victory. But after that, you play Texas Tech, Baylor, TCU, 14th-ranked Iowa State, Oklahoma State, 25th-ranked Kansas State, Texas, and Kansas. I see some wins there. I see wins over Texas Tech, Baylor, TCU's a possibility. I don't think they're bad. I don't think that they're amazing. TCU's 
right on the cusp of getting ranked. They're 26th in the polls right now with 91 votes coming in. A TCU game will be uh, a moment where I, th- I think West Virginia will be on the cusp, and TCU very much so will be ranked at that point if they continue to win. Yeah, again, I, I wouldn't leave that out of the realm of possibility, but I just think West Virginia, if we're looking at Big 12 hierarchy right now, do I see them at the end of the day in the top 25? I just, just not right now, but again, sure. not leaving it out of the question. ACC matchup, North Carolina took down Virginia 59-39. to And that North Carolina defense has just not looked very good. But I tell you what did look good, Sam Howell bouncing back in a big way, uh, playing really well right now. He had five touchdowns to one interception on Saturday against Virginia. And then Brennan Armstrong, the, uh, the Virginia quarterback, four touchdowns to one pick, 554 passing yards. North Carolina's defense has, has, has they, they brought back a lot of production, but they've not bounced back in a way that you said you, you, you believe this North Carolina defense would get better. I agreed with you. I just said I just didn't think it would be significant, but they have just not played well so far this season. No, but the offense can carry them through this schedule. It's, it's definitely pleasant to me to see that the offense scored 59 points on a conference opponent. That legitimizes what they did against Georgia State the week before, the week before where they scored 59 there also. They get to play Georgia Tech this weekend, Duke, Florida State, Miami, four straight home games for North Carolina. And then they'll play at Notre Dame, and that'll be one where you say, all right, is this team is this team legit? Yes, they'll beat Notre Dame, no question. <laughs> I mean, but, but seriously, and then after Notre Dame, they play Wake Forest, Pittsburgh, Wofford, NC State. Tell me where the loss is. Of course, they, 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 they would have to lay an egg like they did against Virginia Tech in Week 1, which is very possible. They did it last year. They lost to Florida State, right? Like, North Carolina's very capable of doing it, but I think they're better than everybody left on their schedule. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely I, th- I feel like, a very favorable schedule. And again, that one... Are they the best team in the ACC is my question. Might be. I, I think they are. I think they're playing like it. I think if you give them this stretch of games, they'll definitely build up enough momentum to where I feel like a lot of people would say that. Let's head to the phone lines now. 334-321-1390. We got Spectre on the line with us. Spectre, how you doing? I'm doing good. I've just been listening to you guys off and on because I'm really busy right now. But listen, um, yeah, talk about the, the, the goal line. Chalk is the end zone. Yeah. No matter where you're sitting at it, chalk is the end zone. So now, now what your question is, does his forward progress, not where the ball's at, when he's carrying the ball, it, it, does his head cross that goal line going, going to the one-yard line? That's his forward progress. So I haven't been, I haven't had a chance to review that either. But you just said you did. Well, I, I, I think, and this, and I'll be honest with everybody, I don't know the rule entirely. I think after going back and and during one of our commercial breaks, I went back just a second ago to look for other instances of this that's happened in ball games. And I saw an instance in the NFL a couple years ago where where uh, an NFL analyst said that the entire football had to make itself out of the end zone. And yeah, that's, uh, that's NFL. Yeah. I don't, and I don't know if that's the same case in college, but uh, not a whole. If, if looking back at the replay, not a whole lot of that football made it out, if any at all. Which, for for progress to take into effect, like the football, it's it's the furthest that the football advances, right before he's driven backwards, and very yeah, little of that it, football makes it out. Well, the thing is, is yeah, in, the, in the screenshot we were looking at, his knee was down, and it looked like, like you said, Noah, if any of the football was out, it was it was, it was a very sliver. little. So the knee was down in the end zone. Yes. Okay, but but uh, the ball was beyond was in the end zone. But what about his forward progress? 
He didn't move it, any, he didn't move any for like he didn't move forward beyond that point. Like where his knee is down, like that's where he's down, you know. It, it wasn't one of those so situations. Okay, so he didn't move forward, then got moved back, and knee went down. No, no, no that wasn't a okay. that wasn't that situation. And, and, and what's even more bewildering is where the ball was spotted coming out of that play. It, the nose of the football was almost touching the one yard line, and they're like, yeah. you know that that did not happen. Yeah, you know, at this point, you know, those were SEC officials, <laughs> and gosh, dog, you know, you know, it looks like you'd have a little little bit of favor on us. I mean, you're not supposed to, but. No, at least a little bit. Auburn, Auburn did get a free down in that first half, though. <laughs> I will say, though, the people that control the dial-a-downs are Penn State people. So it was not necessarily Oof. the officiating that that, that, yeah, that's right. that cost that. that. That's, you're, you're, you're right about that. Hey, about Lynn, uh, Lane Tiffin? Yeah, Lane Tiffin. He's going to take, yeah, take that Florida State job, I guarantee you. Yeah, and Florida. Miami could even open up. It's going to be a very interesting coaching carousel. Yeah, I'd love for him to go to Florida State. And the, he's he'll kinda, be an attractive he's option. Kind of he's got that kind of charisma that Florida State looks for. Yeah, and I think he could win there. It's a whole lot easier. It's like, think about yeah. the max that he'll be able to do here with consistency in the SEC. He's got to play underneath Kirby Smart. He's got to play underneath Nick Saban. Auburn's always going to be a thorn in his side. LSU's going to eventually bounce back one day, whoever their head coach yeah. will be in the future. Like, yeah, There's just he, so much competition he, he, here. That's right. He's, also, he's got a bad reputation in the SEC. And, you know, if he goes to Florida State, you know, if he were to go to an ACC school, he's really only got to worry about Dabo. And, um, you know, I think it's possible for him to get his program to a place where maybe Clemson could get upset. And you've, it's you much better to beat Dabo. one. You don't only have to worry about Dabo for maybe five more years. And then he may end up at Alabama. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Spectre, appreciate your call today. See you. That was Spectre on the line with us. Lance, any takeaways there? Yeah, I definitely think that I'm. I'm not leaving it out of the realm of possibility that that Kiffin leaves. I just want to see him at, all, at stick it out for a couple more years at Ole Miss because you know I think the recruiting classes are getting better. I think they're moving along. Arch Manning is a guy. You know, if he comes to Ole Miss, where could that program be with a player like him? Actually, believe it or not, the only person that Kiffin follows on Instagram right now, and I just saw this on Barstool, is Arch Manning. So he's uh, he's making a push for Arch right now. Uh, it will be interesting to see what this program looks like and what the recruiting looks like with Kiffin uh, when that Florida State job does come open, if it does come open. But, yeah, I'm not leaving it out of the realm of possibility. It's just uh, I think as far as culture goes, I enjoy watching Kiffin and Oxford. I think it's just a fun combination of personality and then the, the culture and the way that the offense is. I think it's just a fun place to be with, with Kiffin there. And, and, and that was a great fit, but I also think Florida State could be a great fit too for be, him. You yeah. know? <laughs> that would also be a fun place to be. Let's take a quick break here. We wrap up the Tuesday edition of On the Line when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama wrapping up the Tuesday edition of On the Line. A big thank you there to Justin Ferguson, all of our callers today, all of the texts that we received. We appreciate you interacting with the show and engaging with the show if you want to call in 334-321-1390 that's how you can reach us if you missed today's show go and find the podcast on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify stitcher and iHeartRadio. only four minutes here left in the tuesday edition of on the line before the drive with bill cameron and dan peck they'll be taking your calls from 4 to 6 p.m Wrapping up the show here, Lance, I want to ask you some questions, okay? Because I'm putting together my on-the-line poll, and I want your thoughts because I'm going through my scrubbing process, you know, like, all right, which team do I like better? 
between these two the, these two squads, right? And I'm looking at Ohio State and Florida right here, and I just asked you this during the break, and you look at the resumes. One team lost to Alabama by two. One team lost to Oregon by six, but they're both two and one at this point. Which team do you like more? Because in the AP poll, Florida is at 11. Ohio State is at 10. And we're just going to look through a couple different teams here, a couple different comparisons, because it's been a wacky year of college football so far. And uh, I think some teams that are ranked inside the top 10 maybe are ranked a little bit too highly. And at this point, you know, it, it, the, the, the idea in polls is that if somebody loses, they have to drop. But didn't Florida look impressive enough to maybe warrant that, hey, maybe these guys could be a top 10 team? Mm-hmm. So Florida or Ohio State? Right now, if you're asking between those two specific teams, like which team do I think is better, I think Florida, based on the way that we saw them play Alabama, is a little bit better of a program. And then also, if you're asking the question, which I know you're not, I just think it's fun to speculate, if these two teams lined up on a neutral site, what would the matchups look like? Well, Ohio State's run defense has been really poor so far this season. And what has Florida done so well? Run the football. Even without Anthony Richardson, they were still able to establish the ground game against Alabama. I would take Florida to win that matchup. But in terms of talent and in terms of resume and what they've done, I think Florida is slightly more talented, and they've impressed me a little bit more, even with Emory Jones struggling throwing the football. Ohio State or Clemson? As to this yesterday, you know, is it time to bail on either of these two teams? And I don't think it is. They're talented. It's early. They ought to be able to figure some things out. There's still a real chance that both of those teams win out and they get into the college football playoff discussion at the end of the year, right? But I like Ohio State a lot more yeah. than Clemson at this point. I don't even really have to think about it too much. And the reason for it is Ohio State is scoring. Doesn't matter the opponent, Ohio State is scoring. Clemson is not. Yeah, Big Cinco right now has one touchdown to two picks on the season. He's completing 59% of his passes. Ugh! It's not good. It's not good. Look at the games that Clemson's played. They beat, well, they lost to Georgia 3-10, to right? They beat uh, South Carolina State 49-3, to and then they barely beat Georgia Tech 14-8 to with that goal line stand. I mean, against two Power 5 teams, they have scored two touchdowns. I just don't. You look at that NC State game this week, and I, again, I think Clemson's a talented team. That's on the road, and I know NC State lost to Mississippi State, but I just question... At some point in this ACC schedule, they don't play another ranked team for the rest of your year, at least not right now. Where does that loss come from? Because I believe there is another loss on this schedule. They will lose to somebody else before the end of the year, I think. I just don't know who it is. Since Ohio State is the topic right here, as well as Clemson, but we'll, we'll pivot to Ohio State a bit here. Who's the best team in the Big Ten? You got some undefeateds. Iowa, 3-0. Penn State, 3-0. Michigan, 3-0. Rutgers, 3-0. You can look around. Penn, Michigan State, 3-0. There are a lot of undefeated. Wisconsin, one loss at 1-1. One one. They took a bye week off, and Ohio State's at 2-1. Who's the best team in the Big Ten at this point? I think it's Penn State. I think when you look at the, the, the opponents that they played, the fact that they're undefeated, I think it's Penn State right now. And I think they have the best. Uh, the, their best win is Auburn. Well, yeah, their best win is Auburn, I think. You've also got Wisconsin baked in there. Why are they ranked behind Iowa in the AP poll? Penn State? Yeah, why? I'm not entirely sure iowa's resume is an indiana team that's no longer in the top 25 and iowa state who's looked bad and sits at 14 whereas penn state has beaten wisconsin and auburn who both still reside in the top 25 and then kent state uh you know iowa only beat them 30 to 7 so but you know why i was still in the top five you know why i was ranked ahead of penn state because of the fact that they beat two ranked teams at least at the time at the time and they got moved up there and people overreacted and then it, I, do people feel bad and they're just like well we can't move them down now because like, they didn't because they didn't lose right yeah. I, I just think people overreacted to that 
I think Penn State right now should be top. If we're doing the if we're ranking the AP poll and we're shuffling things around on the AP, Penn State should be higher than Iowa. I'm looking around that league and the way that Penn State played this past weekend. I'm not sure. Ohio State, I think, is still I, I would still put Ohio State as the second best team in the league, but outside of that, man, I, I don't know how many teams Penn State's gonna lose to this year. They look very good. That's it for another edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.